Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories. My name is Paula Kotovich. So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader. Molly Shorthouse. My name's Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear. I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, my career now uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. I led a team that negotiated a $22 million native title for it. They taught me in my life a lot of persistence and give me a lot of strength. We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. Does mental health stigma still exist in the medical profession? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I'd like to introduce you to Mel, a young doctor from Victoria. Mel's mental health struggles began in childhood in the context of anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder and severe anorexia nervosa. Mel has achieved her first career goal. How has she done it? I'll let her tell you the story. Hi, my name's Mel. Um, I'm a doctor who is working in Victoria. Uh, when I'm not at the hospital uh, working as a doctor, I love to get out and run. I absolutely love to be at the beach. I would be there um, every day if I could. Um, I love to be in the ocean. It's my favourite place. Um, and otherwise, I love to be hanging out with my family dog, Poppy. <laughs> um, who is my youngest sibling. I also have a brother who is a human sibling, um, but <laughs> and I, I won't say that Poppy's my favourite. I'll let you, know, you gather that. But <laughs> um, this uh, is actually my first year working as a doctor. Uh, so I finished uh, medical school last year and now have started working. At the moment, I am just an intern, so um, still very general, and we rotate through various um, like various fields, and then after a year or two, you can kind of start to specialise. Um, I'm looking forward to getting a bit more experience, actually, what it's like working in those areas this year, and, and just see where that takes me. Yeah. My first experience of mental health um, probably goes back to when I was younger. I was probably quite an anxious and shy child when I, I think back on it. Um, and I, in particular, had a lot of anxiety surrounding vomiting, um, so much so that I it would stop me from eating. Um, and I guess that's sort of where... Um, my first, the, the experience of feeling anxious and, and having those thoughts that actually affected what I was doing and my actions and, and then later sort of like my life. So, um, yeah, I, I guess at that starting point as a, as a kid, um, I wasn't extremely sick then yet or anything, 
Um, but when I think back to it, I can notice those those feelings and those thoughts um, that then later sort of I had um, a lot more of, yeah. Um, the most sort of severe and, and vivid experience that I had um, with anxiety uh, occurred sort of at the end of high school, start of uni, um, where I also experienced obsessive compulsive disorder and uh, an eating disorder. Um, anorexia nervosa um, and despite sort of the different names you know eating disorder obsessive compulsive I think for me it's all quite underpinned by anxiety and it um, it all intertwines actually but they are still sort of separate manifestations and separate experiences uh, so the obsessive compulsive disorder definitely came up before um, the eating disorder um, I I had a lot of sort of issues with my stomach, like I would get nauseous and, and stomach aches um, prior to when that it sort of turned into an eating disorder. Um, but yeah, so the um, I think, I guess, in relation to the obsessive compulsive disorder, what a lot of people might think of is excessive hand washing and, and other behaviours that are associated with feeling germophobic, which is definitely a way that like it's one way that OCD also manifests. But for me, it was things like um, excessive checking, doing things in even numbers, having to touch or tap things a particular amount of times or um, counting or repeating patterns in my head, which is a really difficult one because you can't see it. And I think a lot of people have little habits like checking the door is locked a couple of times or leaving the volume on an even number. Um, but when it becomes a problem is when it starts to intrude on your everyday life and particularly when it, it becomes associated with distress. Um, and like I said, for me, it started with tiny things and then it just became intrusive and really consuming. And I would have to do these patterns until it felt right, which is also extremely hard to explain um, and um, understand even for myself. Um, and it could take a long time, especially if I was having a bad day and I would start to run late a lot. I would um, be withdrawn from activities and, and conversations because I was trying to make sure patterns were correct in my head so um i and i i could feel the impact this was having on people around me like i knew my family would get frustrated at me i was running late i would be let, let my friends down because of these things and it was so time consuming and draining and i hated it but not actually doing those habits or um, the thought of even not doing them like felt overwhelmingly worse <laughs> um, and I would just feel so anxious and, and as if the whole world like was going to go bad around me um, and just that thought like I thought I wouldn't know how to cope with that overwhelming anxiety if I didn't sort of just complete these habits or go along with these rit rituals and um, those sort of small habits they would they make you feel calm in the short term <laughs> which is then 
what maintains them, obviously. Um, but the more you maintain them, um, the worse it gets, <laughs> obviously, also. Um, and I think at my worst with the obsessive compulsive disorder, I couldn't even really talk much to my mom, my family, because I was getting so stuck in my head on making sure that words felt right, um, which when I look back on is, is, yeah, it's really hard to think about. So my experience with anorexia nervosa overlapped really closely with uh, the obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I think a, a way you can explain it is that they both involve maintaining habits and behaviours in a way that made me feel like I could control my anxiety and that my world wouldn't come crashing down around me. Um, and I guess with the anorexia nervosa, it, it, the habits are focused on what you eat and when you eat and the exercise you do um, and, and those sorts of things. But I guess the way that the sort of obsessive compulsive side um, made that stronger is because I did have such strong anxiety if I didn't to commit to things that I felt were good and right. Um, and if I decided, uh, you know, when the, when the focus started becoming on what I was eating, um, I think that sort of obsessive nature really escalated that. Um, and it would also come into it in the way that I would have to eat things in even numbers and, and those sorts of things. So that, that would also contribute. But I think the strongest thing is yeah, that kind of commitment to the behaviours and if not, how how scary and it is and how terrible <laughs> you might feel um, and the fear of that. Um, so, yeah, like I said, all these habits and behaviours I did to feel like I could maintain my world and, and that, you know, things wouldn't come falling down around me but actually kind of, Ironically, it did <laughs> um, in maintaining in maintaining these behaviors. So, um, and um, the the illness made me into a really different person, and it's something that I feel strange about looking back. Um, yeah, I was I usually enjoy being really social um, and and being out with friends, and but I was so focused trying to maintain my world that whether in terms of weight or OCD behaviours, that I either didn't have any energy or drive to be involved with friends or social situations or I was just so distracted that I couldn't probably connect like, with the people I was with. So um, I was I was tired and, and withdrawn and I couldn't concentrate and um, I really struggled to find enjoyment in what I normally did. Um, I also felt really trapped. Um, like I was exhausted living the way that I was um, from the illness itself, um, being underweight and malnourished, but also just 
from the psychological part of it and also pretending that I was okay. Um, but the idea of trying to get better just felt so, so much worse. In the end, how this affected me, um, the, the biggest impact it had on me was that six weeks out from finishing my undergraduate degree and three weeks out from a medical school interview, I was hospitalised in a psychiatric unit for my eating disorder um, and I had to miss the interview and defer from graduating, um, and, which might not seem so big or horrible now, but at the time I was completely distraught um, because in particular I had worked so hard to keep everything together, <laughs> inverted commas, um, and I no longer felt like I was in control. Initially, I was still seeing a GP who said, you know, you'll notice that my weight was dropping um, and said, I'm going to refer you to this psychiatrist. Um, and they did. And then um, a long time with that psychiatrist who was trying to get me, she could see what was going on and was trying to get me involved in um, eating disorder services. There's like um, sort of outpatient services as well, day programs you can go to before you become an inpatient. Um, and she was trying to get me to go. But the the only way you can actually be a part of those day programs is if you have something in you that wants to get better and wants to try. They won't accept you otherwise, which sounds a bit crazy, I know, because how do the people who aren't quite ready get help? But um, yeah, that part of accepting you into that program is some desire to want to try, even if you, you know, most of you is telling you that you don't. Um, so I got accepted into that day program and I, but I was still just so resistive and I, I wasn't ready um, and I needed more, I, I needed stronger um, intervention really. Um, I was sort of too sick by that point to be involved in that. It was too hard to um, be confronted with sort of meals and that and then have to go home and sit with that all by myself and I, so I, I did it a couple of days and then I went back and I just stopped and I was refusing and they said, you can't be part of this program, but um, like a bed has just come up. So we want you to be an inpatient. Um, that just like really hit me that, was I really that unwell? <laughs> that they thought that I needed to be cared for somewhere because I, you know, was, was that underweight and that sick. Um, I didn't want to die from this. I I didn't want to actually be making myself this unwell, but I still was. Um, so there was still a part of me that thought, you know, I don't I don't want to be making myself this sick, but I just didn't see a way out. So when they sort of said that, I very 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 reluctantly accepted to go to hospital. Um, and yeah, as I guess as an adult, it's it's quite hard. I, I was still used to being a young adult and used to being sort of those decisions being controlled by your parents. <laughs> um, if you go to hospital, like, okay, and, and if the doctors tell you you need to go, yeah, you go. Um, 
But actually, if I didn't want to go, I didn't have to. And that was a really difficult part because everything in the eating disorder is telling you not to change things, <laughs> everything. Um, and so even that small acceptance of saying, yes, you can take me there is really, really hard because everything that the eating story is telling you to do is screaming at you saying, no, 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 we don't want to change this, not at all. Um, so I guess it was a combination of the tiny little part in me that didn't want to be completely taken over by this illness and a lot of external people trying to help me that sort of ended up in me being able to get help. So I guess I'm not sure if in the initial part I could say that I was seeking help <laughs> for my eating disorders. I don't think I was. I think um, I just had, I was probably quite lucky that I had other people just keep slowly chipping away and, and pushing at me. Um, and then it was sort of a slow journey within hospital to go from being completely resistive to trying to overcome the illness. So... When I came out, I still had I still had a lot of thoughts, sort of eating disorder thoughts, um, but I was slowly removing that those thoughts from um, just sort of what I was thinking to, as in like being part of me. That it's not intrinsically who I am to feel this way, to think this way, to to only want to eat this much, um, and slowly that was also really important slowly separating this anxiety and this behavior and this illness from me intrinsically as a person um which was really important and yeah so slowly from there it was just um really really slow even a couple of years actually a few years before I really found that I wasn't having thoughts sort of related to eating disorder like not being so conscious about how I was looking what I was eating um but I continued to see psychologists, or the psychologists that I have, psychiatry as well. I saw a psychiatrist for the OCD and I I actually, I was started on um, some medication in the hospital for that. Um, and I still take that medication. That's probably actually something I hadn't quite mentioned. It was a massive thing for me to overcome as well. It's the idea of taking medication. I was super against it. Again, probably because I thought I can do it on my own. <laughs> Um, and also sort of some stigma associated with taking mental health medication. Um, yeah, but I, I, I started that and I, I continued that. And I also then just sort of got back to everyday life and things that I like to do and um, those distractions, like, you know, being social and um, starting to do some exercise again and just focusing on all those things and trying to keep the thoughts, um, letting them pass and, and knowing they're there, but not engaging with them um, and when I got back to uni and I just I, I had a goal I, I wanted to finish uni I wanted to apply for med school again and um, I sort of really focused on working towards those things because I knew what happened if I didn't <laughs> yeah I think anxiety really does underpin a lot of the experiences that I've had um you know it, it does underpin obsessive compulsive disorder and it does underpin you know, anorexia nervosa so um trying to get some you know ways to deal with that has been really <clears throat> important um I guess 
things that I've done and still do to uh, address that are, um, I guess there's a few sort of aspects to it. It's part of it is the sort of um, psychological side and um, sort of is you're seeing a psychologist or speaking about it with my friends and my family and, and not just keeping it inside my little head going round and round in circles. Um, so um, speaking it out and then getting feedback sort of from other people being like, this is unreasonable or not, you know. Um, so I've found that is something I find really important. Um, and, I've, and I've obviously used mindfulness quite a lot as well. Um, made sure that I got back into running and exercise um, in a safe way as I recovered from my eating disorder. And I find, um, yeah, running also really helps. Um, and um, I, I guess it's the, sort of that perspective, which is something I've, I guess, had to learn um, in that the the anxiety doesn't last if it no matter how long you think it will and how how severe the feeling is the emotion the panic in your chest the nausea the the pain in your stomach it doesn't last even though it feel like it will um and that perspective and has also helped which is probably something that sadly has to come through just riding through the anxiety and getting to the other side and realizing that you can um and the more that you do that the easier it is to realize that each time and and a little bit less the anxiety gets a little bit less each time um so learning that and realizing that also and actually being sort of guided to sit in my anxiety and not try and fix it um, and escape it has been a really difficult but important way to manage it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, on the outside of that is all those things that, you know, everyone does to keep themselves happy and sane and going out with friends, seeing family, um, doing, I like to do arts and crafts, just making sure I'm doing things I enjoy as well um, and keeping that balance. Um, I still have OCD. I still get anxious. Um but it's not to the point where it intrudes on my life and stops me from doing things and um, you know, really affects my emotions. Um, but it is important that I sort of keep a check on it and I do have to and I um, try to sort of make, you know, monitor if it's sort of getting a bit worse and it sometimes does when I go through something, you know, from a bit more, if it is leading up to exams or something, it usually gets worse and I just have to sort of um, keep a check on it and make sure I, I tell people and, and monitor where it goes from there. Um, but that's really what I do is I I um, I, I just talk about it so much more um, and like make it all out in the open so that people can also help me monitor myself because it's really hard. I think when you have something psychological going on, it's just easy to get lost all up in your own head and justify and do all of those things. So you, you need external um, opinions and, and help. Um, so, yeah, I just try to make sure I've got all those things sort of in place as well, like every so often checking in with my psychologist and um, just to make sure, um, you know, if if I'm not sort of getting too lost in it all on myself. But, um, 
yeah, I think I think it's important to say that I it's not all gone. <laughs> um, I, yeah, um, despite having come a long way from sort of my worst point, that I still have, um, you know, days and issues, but I have been able to learn how to manage it a lot better, um, and and to a point where where I can sort of live comfortably and happily rather than being consumed by the emotion and anxiety that that comes with those illnesses. I've used, uh, in terms of sort of online um, resources, I um, I used to use Smiling Mind, um, and I use Headspace um, still now. Um, mostly that sort of those sort of things, audio clips and mindfulness, um, is really the kind of online stuff that I've used, which I found really helpful. I I guess part of the problem for me and maybe I think a problem with a lot of people who experience anxiety or depression is that um, it's like I was sort of mentioning before, it's really hard to separate those emotions from yourself and from any other thoughts and and feelings. And it feels like you can never escape them. And and that is a huge concern. Um, So those sorts of things to be able to listen um, and be guided through um, something, it makes it sort of, I feel like it takes you away from being reliant on your own thinking and helps you um, get out of that. And and also for me, I guess maybe this might not be so across the board, but for me, I would have trouble reading things because of the OCD sometimes. I would be rereading and or even writing, um, it's not right, cross it out. So just listening to something took away all of that and I could, I think, accept it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of why I got into, uh, why I headed towards the career of medicine, I guess this makes me think of my medical school interviews a bit and they would always say, um, you know, don't just say it's because you want to help people. Everybody says it's because you want to help people. <laughs> and I remember thinking, but... But I do want to help people. <laughs> what do I say? Um, so that is a big part of it. And I guess more than just wanting to help people is, um, I guess, part of my personality and, and what I enjoy is getting to know people and, and um, understanding them and understanding their thoughts and their feelings. And um, if I can sort of, you know, be able to help in any way then that's also amazing and um and I guess that that's also what motivates me to sort of um speak about uh mental illness and mental health side of things is that um it's a really difficult and and vulnerable conversation to have um and and especially still as as there's still quite a lot of you know, stigma and judgment sometimes around these topics, self-judgment often more than external judgment. I definitely think there is still stigma um, associated with mental illness in the medical profession. I wish there wasn't and I wish I could say no, but I 
and I think there it's starting to change. There's it's there's starting to be exposure. The conversations are started to be had, um, and I mean it's already there's already all the statistics about suicide and depression in in medical profession. Like it's there, it's obviously there, um, but in terms of being a part of the medical profession and actually uh talking about it I think that's still got a huge long way to go or or just feeling comfortable about it um and I I hope it it changes but I I do feel worried that you know if 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 some people in in my profession knew that this is what I went through that they might have some sort of prejudice against me um and hopefully that's not the case, but it's that's definitely still a concern that I have, which I think also adds to it. I think things that hospitals could do better to help people feel uh, more comfortable about mental illness, mental health, I guess probably just um, making it visible more, which I think they sort of start to do with, you know, when you do uh start working like say when I start working at the hospital they say you know these are the access program if you if you do need help this is the people you go to as supervisors like we're we're here as well um and I think that that's really important it's obviously starting to happen I don't know if it happens you know in every hospital maybe I'm lucky um but just you know on induction being like this is a a difficult job and you will have times where you feel like trash and your you know emotions are all over the place and that's normal and these are the people to reach out to um if you need to um so I guess, yeah, that's that's definitely part of it is just making it visible and saying that they've got like a person. It just makes you feel like it's just part of your work. That's part of the workplace. That's a normal thing for to happen and to feel and, and to seek help for rather than to be just like squashed about it. Um, and I think just, yeah, that, that visibility and that acknowledgement of these issues is something that helps on like a bigger scale. But I, um, I, yeah, having this experience myself um, in the hope that, you know, being able to talk about it a bit, um, you know, I think because it is such a, a difficult and vulnerable topic that you can, um, you know, really just internalise and, and be silenced by it, um, and which just makes makes everything a whole lot worse. And um hopefully if if I can share a bit then um yeah I do hope to help and and hope that other people don't feel silenced by the, by mental illness thank you for listening if there's been anything in this podcast that you found distressing don't forget to talk to your usual support person or call lifeline on 131114 And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.